1: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
0: Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs
1: player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes,
0: Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers
2: basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist,
1: Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode two, and we just watched a fantastic, thrilling track meet of a preseason game. Oof. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Obviously, follow my work at BleedingGreenNation.com. As always, I am joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year-Streak-Without-A-Bad-Day. He is Benjamin Solak of BleedingGreenNation.com as well. Ben, are you doing better than Halapuli Vati Vaitai right now?
0: Man, I'm doing better than a hundred. <laughs> I believe I have five ties at this current point. To play the way you did against the Patriots, make the statements you made about playing at the <laughs> Patriots, and then come out and look worse against the Browns is bad. Like,
1: and you know you've got Miles Garrett the next week. Like, you know you're in trouble, and you put that out there. It just feels like everything's snowballing for him right now.
0: And while the the prevalent message of the Eagles brass and coaching staff and veterans has been you know this team is not experiencing a Super Bowl hangover whatsoever if that may be like the zeitgeist but there's still a chance that you have stragglers you have individuals right and Big V had a, a solid playoff run it was pretty good and I don't know this has been a really just rough preseason for him man it is not encouraging whatsoever
1: yeah, and you can check out my article on him at bleedinggreennation.com. I went back and looked at over 600 different snaps from Big V after the preseason game last week where he really struggled. Man, I was not encouraged by it whatsoever. And then he comes out here and he can't block Miles Garrett. And obviously we have a lot of things to talk about on this show, but that was like the one thing that stuck out to me in the very beginning, along with Nick Foles' crazy preseason mm-hmm. play. I don't know how much to read into that. But 5-0 is the score. The Philadelphia Eagles drop another preseason game. Should we be concerned? My column, all that stuff. I'm not really all that concerned. Uh, But one thing I really am concerned about, and this touches on, you know, what we were talking about is the offensive line depth is bad. And that's a very important part Mm -hmm. of the puzzle for us, because you look past Big V, who has looked awful, who is in quicksand and can't get right and what's behind them and what's behind the guards and outside of siamalu at center i think he plays well but he can't snap and we play shotgun 77 percent of the time he can't shotgun snap like what what's going on with the offensive line depth that you saw uh, throughout this game
0: i would say that offensive line depth and let's take a moment michael What was it that you and I were standing so hard for coming into the 2018 draft? That's right. It was that they draft a tackle at a premium. I just wanted to make sure that that was clear for everybody in case you're a new (laughs) listener or you forgot. I don't know how you would have forgotten because we said it a lot. But here we are. I think offensive line depth is my biggest concern for this team currently outside of one you know, Carson Wentz health, which is just like obviously I think that's concern number one for everybody, and that'll be answered within, you know, the next one or two months, hopefully, you know, we'll have a confirmed right. answer on that, and then we'd be done. And then number two would be uh who's defensive tackle next to Fletcher Cox. Uh Destiny Veo lines up there very often, especially in the preseason as a young player getting those reps against the ones, but I haven't seen anything inspiring from him. Uh Halepoli, or not Halori Nada. Second team Premium reps. pass rusher. Yeah, exactly. Put a little spin move on him. You know, forty-five year old spin move. He's been working on that for the past twenty-four seasons. Uh, no, that was a yeah. He, he has he had a couple good pass rush reps, but you don't know how much juice he has. You don't know how many snaps you want him to be seeing and everything. So who's that that defensive tackle? But behind those two concerns, it's okay if Kelsey goes down. Right, you're assuming they move Wiz to center and then Samuel to left guard. Oof, you know, if, uh, if Lane goes down, who's the backup right tackle? Is it, is it Taylor Hart? Is it Big V moving over, which can't help an already rough left tackle? You know what I mean? Like, there's just big time concerns, uh, for this offensive line. If one of the pieces goes down and, and, and the, the off- An offensive line makes money by being continuous, by being very har- harmonic, you know, working well as one unit of five people. And obviously to take one out of it is going to be a huge blow. But especially for an Eagles offensive line that executes a ton of different blocking assignments, is predicated on incredible athleticism, and is very, very versatile within the game, making a lot of calls to one another, uh, adjusting play structure and line responsibilities based off of the looks they get on a defensive line. I would say it's it's an increased need to have really good harmony across that line. And so, you know, uh, Stoutland loves talking about how smart Sam Lo is, how much that helps him play at his different positions, how well that helps him when he's the pivot. But to me, uh, you know, I haven't seen him block well at a spot. Yeah. Like, I, I, don't, I don't see him handle power well, regardless of where he is. So... Uh, at the end of the day, you got to be able to block people. This is the offensive line. Like it's you know, it's kind of like we 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 puff up quarterback, we puff up wide receiver. At the end of the day, you got to be able to throw the ball, catch the ball. Offensive line, you got to be able to stop people and move people. And Samson doesn't, yep. do doesn't do that. And Chance Warmack doesn't do that. And Halapu Vatuvai in the running game does that pretty well, but in the passing game, he doesn't do that. And that should be you know, concerning.
1: Yeah. And even Vitae, he struggles to sustain his blocks. Like He does enough for the first two seconds, but once it gets out of that, that, that sphere of those two yards, he tends to struggle to sustain because his balance is just absolutely everywhere. And to your point, Siamalu, I think he's fine as the sixth offensive lineman when they go heavy and you kind of put him on the outside where guys tend to be lighter. But I think you're correct in your assessment that inside he has problems with guys that are you know, anywhere from 280 to 310 pounds coming in his face.
0: More, yeah, I mean, 320 pounds. We got some big boys, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. So outside of the offensive line depth, because, I mean, we're showing our nerd here talking about offensive line for the first seven minutes of the show, which is...
0: Yeah, we we didn't do our our little playful banter. Maybe we'll have to end with that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Outside of that, we wanted to see, well, I wanted to see, and I put a list out there, so I'm just going to kind of pick through a couple of these. I wanted to see the nickel cornerback job, one, I thought Sidney Jones played okay. Uh, Avante Maddox had an up-and-down night. I saw him get stiffed-armed to all heck on, on a run, and even the defensive backs had trouble tackling early in this game, and it was, mm-hmm. it was bad in that regard. Um, and then they got to the goal line stand where, especially Sidney Jones, did a fantastic job on the rub routes that the Cleveland Browns were very focused on on that goal line stand. I thought they did Fantastic there. Yep. And then Avante Maddox gets the pick, which unfortunately he doesn't take back to the house oh. and he is going to get heckled to all heck. <laughs> Listen,
0: the best thing that came out of this football game, my good friend. Was just the gif of Nigel Bradham, Fletcher Cox, and Malcolm Jenkins with dire intensity. Like this was this was a a a momentum shifting six point swing in a key regular season game against a divisional opponent. If you just watch the clip of Bradham, Cox, and Jenkins whipping their arms and screaming "Go!" and then the entire sideline jumps up and puts their hands on their head when he gets (laughs) shoestring tackled on the sideline. Oh, there's nothing. Listen. In training camp, when the DBs get a pick, they go bananas, right? And so I knew if Maddox took this off Baker, right? Off the first overall pick and housed it, that they, I would, there was going to be electric slides. There was going to be cha-cha slides. There was going to be, I, I don't know, other old chicken dances. It was going to be mayhem out there. And that's the only thing I wanted in this stupid game it's in the middle of the third yeah. quarter to have a massive dance break from Jalen mills and rasul douglas and it didn't happen and i was very disappointed in maddox stock down
1: this is definitely stock i
0: should have put him in my losers i didn't
1: yo you didn't we're gonna have to do a separate article for that maybe i'll do that with like a film piece and then we'll <laughs> i'll retroactively put him in there i'll photoshop it in there i'll just throw that in the article but yeah so uh, other than that how did you th- – and do you think anybody separated themselves there at the nickel position, which is going to be extremely important for us when the, uh, when the season begins?
0: I, I have never thought that Sidney Jones didn't have it. You know what I mean? Like, Sidney and, and Bowsby were rotating reps there in the beginning of camp, and then uh, Mattis would take second team reps there. And Sydney looks to me to be better than Bowsby uh, at, that, at that position on the interior. And then Maddox started to get more run there as he definitely grew during training camp. You saw the rookie, uh, you know, the rookie shakes, the rookie struggles, kind of shed as he would get more comfortable in his own shoes. And then he got more first team reps there. And I, I, I still thought Sydney was a couple of heads above him. And that's not to say that Sydney is great right now because he isn't. Uh, Sydney very much so is a player who just hasn't played football in a year and had to have a really weird adjustment to NFL play because he had his injury at the worst possible time. Right. Just, just, you know, yeah. didn't even do one sort of training camp thing. Very, you know, he looks like you would expect him to look as a player who got injured right before his first training camp began you know what I mean so so there's going to be a developmental process there's going to be a learning curve I firmly believe that the best way for Sydney to develop is to just get him out there because the poor guy hasn't played the sport in so long and let him lose a couple reps as every young corner has to do and let him get his sea legs back under him let him get back to his aggressive style of play from Washington to me that's the best route for him moving forward so Cindy, to me, has always just been the guy who I presume is going to start in the nickel. Nothing really changed for me tonight.
1: Are you concerned at all with the Super Bowl MVP, Nick Foles, going 13 for 17, 127 yards, two interceptions, putting a big goose up on the board in the first half and obviously the Eagles for the entire game? Uh, We've said it before. Nick Foles isn't a fantastic practicer. We are not game planning to his strengths in the preseason. We're trying to uh, evaluate these other players and set these things up for them. I'm personally not concerned. Do you think, cause there's going to be a ton, a ton of hot take columns out tomorrow about Nick Foles. Cause he has just not played well this preseason. And like I said, I'm not concerned about it. Are you pretty much the same? I think we're of the same mind of this or am I wrong?
0: The Eagles week one offense. That's not, that's not true. The Eagles fully healthy offense Whatever week that is, we'll have depending on how you count starters, <laughs> about six different players, over half of the <laughs> roster out. Right? Okay. So let's remember that from the jump. Right? Like if the yeah. if the Eagles are fielding this and the offense, skill position
1: players too, like the wide receivers, it's, it's
0: all wide receivers, Mike. It's yeah, starting left tackle, starting quarterback, starting running back. And then two, maybe three starting wide receivers. Again, depending on how you're counting it is what I'm saying. Yeah. Right? Depending on what personnel you're in. It's like five or six different guys. I'll put it to you this way. Like if Nick Foles were playing under these circumstances in the regular season with how much pressure (laughs) he was getting today, nobody would have expected anything different except for a two-pick performance from Nick Foles. Because that's who Nick is, right? And what's very important to remember is that Nick, Nick played amazing in the playoff run. And Nick played awful tonight. And those two things are both like equally true and are just him. It's his, that's his profile. And it always has been, right? So I love it when Foles comes out and plays like this against the Browns. I think it's very, very important because it reminds us, hmm. number one, why he's a backup. Jake, Mike, you remember when people were like the starting quarterback controversy in Philadelphia, right? Oh, my God. We need Nick to do this to remind all of us how the world actually works. Yeah. Yeah. And then number two, it reminds us how magical our Super Bowl run really was. It reminds us how things could have gone. Like, you know how we like to make fun of Minnesota because we pulled their pants down on a national stage 38 to 7? Yeah. That could have been us so badly. So, so, so badly, but it wasn't. And so it, it makes me more appreciative of the impossible aligning of stars that was the 2017-2018 playoff run. So I don't care whatsoever. Uh Obviously, Doug cares a lot. Doug is not yeah. thrilled. That had me dying, man. Because here's why I like that. Because what you say to Aaron Andrews about your – 7 year Super Bowl MVP winning vet does not matter right if he's like a, a rookie if that was like Baker Mayfield who went out and did that never say that to a reporter about him you're going to throw him off you know what i mean right. maybe not baker yeah. cuz baker's super competitive and crazy but you know it, it it's nick nick knows you, you've worked with him for a long time and you guys are comfortable together and Nick knows he'll be fine, right? So just say like, no, that was awful. We don't know why it was awful. We're working on it. You know, that's fine. I'm okay with that.
1: I agree. I agree.
0: It was an entertaining off-field night, man.
1: <laughs> for sure. So, all right, moving on from, to, from one quarterback to another, Nate Sudfeld, to me, continues to look pretty doggone good. And he put one in the bucket where Davis was just out of bounds. And so pissed, it made me jump man. out of my seat a little bit. Because
0: <laughs> I like Rashard Davis, I I like Rashard yeah. Davis better than DeAndre Carter and better than Greg Ward. And he had a, he had a great touchdown catch against the Patriots with Sudfeld. And then if he caught that one, man, I was about to go nuts. Uh but that yeah, was upsetting. So
1: you like you like Davis better than than Carter because Carter had a very good night. DeAndre Carter he had the punt return as well.
0: Yeah, no, this was the best I've seen Carter. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he obviously had huge opportunity to be playing with the ones. uh, which that's the biggest signal of anything right like uh catches and screens and punt returns all that stuff what matters the most that the coaching staff gave him those reps over davis and over greg ward that's what's important is that they clearly view him as more likely to be in the long-term plans and eagles are going to have wide receiver spots open alshon jeffrey's not going to be available week one obviously there's a chance he's still rostered he's not on the pup list or whatever but um they're going to need that wide receiver five and six to have significant reps uh, if Jeffrey's unavailable to go, and obviously Hollins and Nelson are also kind of in the air, so uh, you know Carter might have a path to sticking on the forty-six man as- active roster at least for the fr- the first few weeks of the season. But yeah, I like Davis.
1: Do you think that Nate Sudfeld is the next next Dak Prescott?
0: In that he's going to make some really <laughs> bad off-season decisions, both photography, <laughs> photo, and otherwise. Um. Uh, now Nate is Nate's just the ideal preseason quarterback man like every time every time he rolls out i'm just like here we go send it 50 yards <laughs> Nady. let's freaking do it yep. that fourth down throw he had there on the last um on the last series was a, was a nice ball and he had a he wanted yeah. Dallas scotter across the middle on that same drive where man he can bean it in between two guys if he wants he's got a laser
1: so okay so we covered quarterbacks we talked about some wide receivers we like deandre carter we, we like davis the, the fourth running back spot something that's hotly debated here in Philadelphia for some reason. Uh, Very important to the people. We've got JHA, Corey Clement, and Darren Sproles coming back. You'd think we would be satisfied with that, but everyone wants to know who the fourth running back is. So you've got Josh Adams coming out today and had a a few good runs where he showed some some good finishing, and that was impressive. I like to see, I needed to see that from Josh Adams because I really hadn't seen much before that from him. He had a decent game against the Steelers Really didn't do much last week because uh, he wasn't active. But look, the fourth running back spot, I honestly think it should go to Charkandrick West, the guy out of Kansas City on it. that was just released. So Charkandrick West is he a known quantity. Number one, you're not projecting anything. D- Danell Pumpery is obviously not, obviously not healthy. Josh Adams hasn't done anything for me. Matt Jones need to needs to be cut yesterday with his performance and his ball security issues the
0: amount of people who told me that matt jones was going to make a serious roster spot push when he was first signed woof
1: (laughs) and uh i i like chank uh charkandrick west better than terrence west who is also out there uh, in the market west is going to give you some third down versatility and I remember watching uh, Spencer Ware with the Chiefs and kind of pounding the table like, hey, if we can get him for cheap and we really need a running back. This is before we got Jay Ajayi. Then, you know, I'm cool with Ware. And then Ware went down with the uh, with the knee thing in preseason last year. But while I was watching his reps, I was also seeing what Kansas City was asking the other running back to do that they weren't asking Ware to do, because that's kind of how you fill out your evaluation, get, you know, get your context. And and I really liked him as a pass blocker. He was solid as a receiver and he was decent as a guy uh, in between the tackles run. nothing to write home about at all mm-hmm. as far as that goes but you know quick can get around to the edge like him in the passing game i think he's got pretty much the skill set that we're looking here uh, for in philadelphia and if the fourth running back spot is really prioritized by this coaching staff then i think that's the way that you go would you agree with that ben
0: i, I to me the the one question that matters that i don't know how to answer is what does west give you on special teams and Obviously, Doug is the guy who's going to be able to answer that because Doug is very familiar with him. And if the answer is literally anything or above, then yeah, Science Track <laughs> Andrew he has uh, more veteran experience. You know, he's a more known quantity. You've worked with him before. To me, what you have to ask yourself with running back four is this. With Sproles, Clement, and Ajayi being a really well-rounded trio, uh, who, uh, those guys provide a lot of stuff for you. They They pretty much... Combine, do everything you want your running backs to do. Run certain schemes, be able to protect, all be effective on third down as pass catchers. Okay, wonderful. With that, the case, who is worthy of holding on to in the long term? I don't think that's Matt Jones very easily. I think Smallwood, we've been holding him on that argument for a while now. And it's tough to justify it with every passing year that he doesn't take a big step forward. Mm -hmm. Can you say it about Josh Adams? I think some people think you can, and I, I understand why, but to me, uh, I can't say that. You know what I mean? I don't look at Josh Adams and I go, that's a guy I can develop into a, a complementary piece. So I, don't, I don't see that from him. I don't see an NFL caliber athlete. I don't see a player with NFL caliber vision.
1: And you know, I didn't like him coming out of college, and I watched a lot of Notre Dame, and I wasn't particularly impressed with him. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's running behind Mike McGlinchey, who's an excellent run blocker, and Quentin Nelson, and getting like these big holes, and I thought he left some yards on the field. And I also think he's being gassed up because he's a local boy.
0: Okay, all right, listen. A beat reporter who shall not be named tweeted after (laughs) his first run, a seven-yard run off tackle to the left, that he broke three tackles. All right, two (laughs) players nipped at his ankles, all right? He like... (laughs) helped stiff arm one into the ground while the player was already nipping. He broke zero no. tackles. He ran to yeah. the outside. As I, I can't handle that sort of stuff. But, <laughs> so so Josh Adams, maybe, maybe not. Like, if they hold on to Josh, I'm going to sleep at night. It won't be my favorite decision, but I can get it. There's a conversation to be had with Danell Pumphrey, but honestly, at this point, I, it doesn't seem likely the coaching staff wants to hold on to him. And if he's not going to be healthy, like, I totally get that. I'm a fan of the player, but if he's yeah. not going to be healthy then it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. And so if you can't justify like a long-term investment for the four of them, either one, use the position, use the roster spot somewhere else and hold on to a player you want to hold on to. Like what if instead of four running backs and nine offensive linemen, you do three and 10 and keep my lot on the 53-man roster? You know, like t- right. t- to me, if, if if instead of exposing my lot up potentially to waivers, protect him. And we don't need a fourth running back, you know, and it's very easy to pick running backs up off the street and have them at least supply something for you in the event of injury, right? Yeah. Or if you're like, all right, West can give me seven significant snaps a game with some of them being on special teams, then sign him for a one-year deal and do it. You know, this is running back four that we're talking about.
1: It's very important stuff, Mm man. It's very important. And I just realized we talked about defensive tackles without talking about your boy, Bruce Hector. I was gonna
0: say we buried the lead. I was going to I was going to yeah. reach the topic because <laughs> we hadn't gotten there yet. What? Where? <laughs> From what? Listen, this wasn't happening in training camp, all right? I mean, I was, he was going up against 3s, so he was like having some good reps. But he only really started to to get significant D2 reps, I believe it was last week and shout out Brandon Gowden, who identified that and was has started the Bruce Hector train before I got on it. Today I haven't been watching him. Also BLG likes to bring up the fact that Hector got the most guaranteed money from the Philadelphia UDFAs, which is a pretty – Which means something. Which is a pretty decent signifier, yeah. But Bruce Hector took a, a, a right guard in Spencer Drango, who has played starting snaps in the NFL, Mike, and just toasted him. I mean, like <laughs> – After the first drive, I was like, oh, he had some good reps on that drive. But he had like two more drives against Drango where he was just tossing him around. And Hector is quick. He is much quicker in a, like in in a, you know, in a two-step phone booth. I'm not talking about he's chasing people down or anything. But his ability to disengage and get involved, to make that tackle radius a little bit bigger, expand that area of influence. pretty sweet like that's that's a nice little skill you've got there you know um one of the things that makes timmy jernigan a really good player is that jernigan can transition from being engaged with a block to getting involved on a tackle that's like at or near the line of scrimmage like right in his area the first level very quickly and you see that with hector mm-hmm. as well it's it's a combination of, of vision instincts and then hand strength and flexibility in the body the the, the mental aspects and the physical aspects. You see that with Hector. He, he, he pushes the pocket on pass rushing downs. He's not a, he's not, you know, like Vale, he's not a pass rusher, like Nada. He's not a pass rusher, which is what the Eagles kind of need for DT2. Uh, but he clearly has rosterable talent. And he was a he was a pretty big recruit coming into South Florida. You know, Deidre and Sanat yeah. was the much bigger name coming out, a third-round pick to the Falcons, also defensive tackle. But I remember when I was research, researching Sanat, I read about Hector, who was a bigger deal coming into the program as far as, you know, three-, four-star rating or whatever it was. So there's talent there. And I think he's clearly a 53-man roster player. Elijah Qualls, man. I like Elijah Qualls' talent, but there's something missing there in terms of work ethic or effort, clearly, because he's just bottomed out from what I can see.
1: Yeah, and we needed to see some solid play from the defensive tackle depth. Uh, Nada looked good. Uh, we don't know how much he has uh, in the tank, but that's encouraging after he uh, was mm. out for the season last year. I think it was what with the torn tricep or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Bruce Hector beating up on Spencer Drango was definitely encouraging and keeping it on the defensive line and this actually ties in with the nickel cornerback argument as well did you see Derek Barnett drop into coverage and do a darn good job
0: <laughs> yeah
1: it's he's looking at me like a. <laughs> it's
0: because Derek Barnett is a, is a three four outside linebacker as I've said many times <laughs> Listen, I don't like this is this is what I have to emphasize for you I think Derek Barnett is a fine football player and I've said this since day one and the other thing I've said since day one is that Derek Barnett makes impact plays The thing is, he doesn't very often make impact plays on reps where he's tasked with beating an offensive tackle who puts up a fight. Like, I got shared many times tonight some of Derek Barnett's highlight plays. What was a very impactful and eventful first half for him. Joel Batonio either didn't hear the snap count or was laid off the snap count. And so Barnett walked right by him and then blew up a running back in the backfield and got held and drew a penalty. Uh, Derek Barnett... Identified a screen that was already in the process of getting blown up by somebody, I'm pretty sure, and then made the tackle in pursuit. And then, yeah, Derek Barnett yep. dropped into coverage. I don't want him to be good at those things. You know, I'm like, obviously, I do, but I'm saying that's not what I want to see from Barnett. What I want to see from Barnett is something that I saw a flash of tonight, which let's focus on that rep. He had Betonio. He was a stand-up nine tech. He got right into Betonio's frame, used his hands to create initial displacement, then tucked his elbow underneath in a rip and bent to put pressure on the quarterback's set point to not get pushed beyond the peak of the pocket. He wasn't able to disengage and really create a pressure or a quarterback hit or a sack, but he collapsed a pocket, which when you're on a defensive line like Philadelphia's, that in and of itself is big because somebody else is probably also getting pressure at that time so you're closing the door to escape that's that that is a positive contribution there's room for improvement in that rep but it was it, to me it was a like a decent solid positive rep so that's the sort of thing that I want to lock in on for Derek Barnett i'm like uh, i will ask you a question now defensive lineman yeah. do you see uh you see Josh Sweat tonight
1: yeah dude He looked good. He looked fast, man. He looked real fast. And there's a thing with sweat. And if I could point this out real quick, when you watched his college tape and he didn't look the burstiest off the line. Well, a lot of people were confusing the fact of what his read is. His read as a four eye where he's kicked a little inside at Florida State where he's kind of miscast there and asked to defend the run a lot. His reads were, I move on the movement of the tackle, right? So the ball can snap, and then I'm reading the tackle, so I might be a little bit late off the line. When he's able to get on that outside line nine and then look at the ball and read the ball and get off the line, he's got some burst to him, man, and he can come down that line in a flash. And he showed that. on I know he had a tackle at the line of scrimmage, or it it was a loss or something to that effect, but pretty much all night, he looked solid, man. He looked real solid.
0: I spent so much time at camp. I I talked with Sweat about it too, going – Man, he looks like he just needs some time to adjust. Like, there's just, he's just not super comfortable yet. Like, he would explode upfield, but then he would immediately transition to an inside rush move when he didn't need to. You know what I mean? Like, he was still just in old habits. And then one day, just between the first and the second preseason game, something clicked. Because Mm -hmm. he started whooping tail. Like, he beat Jason Peters on multiple reps and he was showing up everywhere. And then the Patriots game he had a good game. And then just today, again, going up against some second and some third teamers, right? Josh Sweat's not going to step out on the field and have six sacks this season. I don't think right. so. But clearly something is starting to, to, to work. The light's starting to come on for the rookie. And a similar thing has kind of happened with Maddox. Maddox has been surging into more of the competition recently because there's been a clear development. To me, it was a little bit more linear with Maddox. He was getting better every day. With Sweat, there was a big scalar jump. Uh, and that makes me excited and and the fact that josh Sweat and steven means are technically like our fifth and sixth <laughs> yeah. edge rushers is bananas because they could be a low-end starting duo in the league Like like starting like it, like like you'd want to add somebody to that but Stephen means and josh sweat could start on some of the teams in the nfl it's wild
1: And that's encouraging to hear uh, what you just told me about Sweat because he had so many reps from that four-eye kicked inside at Florida State that you knew it was going to take a little bit of a time for him to adjust to life on the outside. So seeing the light bulb come on like that, uh, very important. And Steven Means, man, just continues to impress me all the time. And he's really come on. The team loves him. He's going to make this roster. There's no room for it because, what was it, someone from – I forget which team it was, but they were asking Is there any chance that Joe Osman, the undrafted free agent out of Central Michigan, it was, uh, makes it, was it to waivers? The we 49ers.
0: Like, it was Brian Peacock.
1: Yeah, and we were it, absolutely. How can he look better than how Stephen Means has looked and the promise that Josh Sweat has shown? Uh, they've been really good this preseason, so I love the depth there. Concerned with the depth on defensive tackle, we saw some promising signs tonight, but the depth as far as defensive end goes moving forward absolutely looks fantastic and then you know you have michael bennett who you can move around this year and, and kind of create havoc with him he got home on a stunt which i think we're going to run some more stunts this year uh, there was an also uh, another sexy um cover zero blitz that they had on third down where they got home and it was uh jordan hicks coming loose that was pretty and and jim schwartz really likes that on third down
0: listen i was one of my winners that i listed which probably isn't how you're supposed to do preseason winners, but I don't really care uh, was five man fronts and Jim Schwartz because yeah. he was doing this in 2017, but I don't think it was at this high uh, frequency. I've seen so many five man fronts in camp. You've seen so many of them in the preseason game and they work very, very well. And simply yeah. the reality is this, I have Fletcher Cox. You want to double team Fletcher Cox. I'm going to put five people on the line of scrimmage you can't double-team Fletcher Cox now unless you're leaving in a tight end or a running back to block, right? Ha-ha, I win, you lose. And then what we saw first, third down, Fletcher and Michael Bennett as three techs. Derek Barnett and Chris Long as stand-up nine techs. That's already a problem, right? And then just a double mug look. They just had two—I think it was Malcolm Jenkins and Nigel Bradham. I'm not positive. Doubling up the A-gaps, right? And they were like a couple yards off the ball and then closer, a couple yards off— And then Bradham came, but he came to the B gap. Michael Bennett shifted to the A gap. The line was, of course, the offensive line was, of course, sliding to Fletcher Cox's side because Fletch, right? right? Which means that that guard went with Bennett. That tackle stayed on an island with the defensive end. Bradham has an alleyway. So he sent five against five and had a free rusher. And that's what a five-man front can do, right? Obviously, this is more of a six-man front situation, but that's what you can do when – instead of being like the 2014 Schwartz, you kind of step out of the chains, the limits of a pure four-man rush, and you allow yourself to get some creativity involved. It makes for incredibly powerful rushes when you have those sort of defensive line threats. So yeah, Schwartz the blitzer, oh, I'm so down, man. I love it.
1: And what I thought they were going to do on that third down that I was talking about, they originally started double-mugging the A-gap With Michael Bennett and Fletcher Cox on either side of the center. And I said, are they going to run a little stunt game here? A little inside stunt game with Fletcher Cox being the smasher that takes two guys out with Michael Bennett looping around. And they ended up shifting, but then they also ended up with something that got a free guy through. And I was like, this is absolutely beautiful. The versatility that they can show and what Jim Schwartz is going to be able to do with these guys up front. It's going to be nasty. Gonna be real nasty.
0: Let me ask you this, Mike. Here's yeah. here's my overarching question for three preseason games in fourteen drives for the offense with zero points, uh, oh and three. Here's my question: How badly would we be overreacting to this preseason if the Eagles hadn't won a Super Bowl in February? Oh, Can you imagine? Freaking, I was,
1: you know, I was, I was thinking about that during the game, and I was thinking back to last preseason. When everybody was freaking about it, but the, the run game was terrible in the preseason. Yes. We all remember that. Yes. You really I had to it?
0: write an article <laughs> for y'all about like, hey, maybe because there's defenders in the backfield, it's okay that Danell Pumphrey picked up zero yards on this run.
1: But yeah, dude, we like this guy was falling on certain things. And if this was not post Super Bowl, it would be all about the Eagles lost the Super Bowl and this is the hangover. This is what happens to teams. uh Everything is bad. Never love anything. That's where we would be at. I mean, and, and you know, we saw this attitude from from the fan base during the during the offseason. Usually the draft is like popping. Usually it's really popular. There was a very uh, laid back. And obviously we had like a very good uh, turnout as far as like doing the draft shows and everything like that. People were interested in it. But it wasn't like that rabid feel. Of like, we need this and we need that and and Mm. we'll we'll never win if we don't get this and this and that. And then we come out in the preseason and we honestly, we stink the join up. And when you look at like a result based uh, feel of things, no one's it doesn't seem like anybody's panicking. And if right now, if someone and and I'm I'm telling you that columns coming tomorrow, someone's going to write this column and they're going to get a lot of hate from the fan base because you cannot talk about this team right now. Someone is going to write is this guy falling column?
0: Okay. What, what will we do when, all right, I'm going to tweet the gif of me riding the bike and saying bye-bye. Uh, you'll just, I just want you to send me that tweet and that's how I'm going to respond. At this point, I'm at the point in my Twitter life where I used to be like, Hey, don't be annoying to people. And I'm still like that. But I'm also like, hey, when people do really stupid stuff, be a little bit obnoxious. I'm starting to kind of, I'm starting to kind of stretch myself out a little bit.
1: Where'd you learn that from?
0: I learned that from you <laughs> following examples. Here's here's my thing: is that I think to myself about like Josh Sweat. This is what I think of. Obviously, at a huge position of strength for Philadelphia. But I even think last year, like running back, was a pretty big position of strength for the Eagles. Or no, it was Blunt and and Sproles, which is like pretty decent. Right. But, you know, Pumphrey. And people were freaking out. Right. So Pumphrey (laughs) comes out and he doesn't play very well. And I'm just using Pumphrey as an example here. It's not because I like the player. Right. He doesn't play well whatsoever in the preseason. And people are like, this guy's a bust. This is crazy. He's so bad. (laughs) uh you know this awful pick trading up total waste okay one year later and josh sweat really like he's had a couple of uh he's he's come on as of late but he really wasn't terribly strong you know as of like two weeks ago and right he's got huge injury history right like crazy like very yeah. limiting and you don't hear anything about like josh Sweat was always a pick da da, da da, whatever right which obviously <laughs> like they like, kind of the um third-party community like the twitter community was into josh wett's tapes it's a, bit, it's a bit different but like stuff goes bad now and people are just like oh shucks and that's it and it's really i just want this to never wear off ever this is amazing
1: if you were to take some doug peterson quotes from this year and apply them to the questions that were being asked last year people would be losing their minds yeah that's how i right see
0: like it. doug is like listen that was so bad. Like, Nick was awful. I'm so disappointed. We're all like, dude, it's fine. Don't worry about it. We're going to be good. Like, when did we become this level-headed? It's crazy. Eagles have just, like, stunk it up this preseason. And we're all like, listen, it ain't even a sweat, man.
1: Yeah. So, one last thing uh, before we uh, touch on final thoughts here. Uh, the Will linebacker spot. The oh, third yeah. linebacker spot. I think it's I think it's come a, come Grigio Hale's. Yeah. Uh, I know you were watching Nate Nate Gary in uh, in the second half, and especially the passing downs. Did you see anything that would move the needle for for any other linebackers to challenge Kamu, uh, or is it Kamu? Kamu. It's Kamu. It's Kamu. And Camus? and
0: whenever he makes a good play, we all go Kamu.
1: Camus. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Now,
0: <laughs> I have I have uh, like an inkling of a take. Which began formulating in my mind while I was watching Nate Gary. And it's not even officially a take yet, right?
1: Nice of you to bury it for the fortieth minute. Nice and safe, Ben. I like it. What's yeah. the take?
0: The take is he's not good. <laughs> like <laughs> this is, this is just, here's the thing, Mike, is he's not a safety and he's not a linebacker, right? Like yeah. he
1: That no man's land, I agree. He
0: comes downhill with Phil as a linebacker, and he's gotten bigger, but there's just no thump. And then he drops into coverage as a linebacker, and it's just all too quick for him. And when he was a safety, he was too big, and he couldn't carry people into space. And it's he, like, obviously, I'm not going to go calling a 2017 fifth-round selection a bust. Uh, Is unnecessary, especially when you consider a positional change. But as of right now, like, he... He's a good overhang defender. He is good in space when there's like a wide receiver screen over to his side of the field. He can get there pretty quick. Like that's a good situation. He's a good tackler, but he, he can't be trusted um, to fill linebacking roles yet. And so that's my take is that Nate Gary is bad in cohesion with this take in, in as a pair. Uh, I have a second second take. It's that Kamugu Grujee Hill is good and he should be starting as the little backer. Yeah. Which I, to me, it's still amazing that we just haven't seen Corey Nelson take like second team reps, let alone first team reps. Like they never really gave him a shot.
1: It's wild because that that was my that was my favorite because they promised him a yep. playing time. That's why he came here. He has starting experience and he played like solid. I watched like literally every snap of his a couple years ago when he was forced into starting playing time in Denver. He was their third down, like long distance dime specialist, so he's got the coverage skills, and we have seen nothing from him. It's been terribly. He's good
0: on special teams. He's good on punt coverage. He's really like yeah, he's awesome. Really excited about that. Uh no, Camus <laughs> the man. Camus is is such a nice space tackler or uh, like uh, He he closes really, really well into the boundary, which is a lot of fun because it helps him play in the perimeter. He's very often that fifth man on the line of scrimmage because he's a fantastic blitzer and a rusher in a way I did not know, which is definitely the special teams background showing up now that I've thought about it. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's the best cover man of the three easily, which to me is the most important thing.
1: Did you – because I put this article up on Bleeding Green Nation where I broke it down and it was the fans had a had a favorite at Will Linebacker and it was, it was, it was Camus. And there was that speed option that the Steelers ran last week with Josh Dobbs and Stephen Ridley. And Camus comes down, right, squeezes mm-hmm. his gap. And what needs to happen is behind him, Nate, Nate Gary has to come around, beat the block from the tackle who was climbing because the tackle's ignoring uh, uh, Camus right?
0: So was Camus like the end Ed man on the line of scrimmage?
1: He was the end man on the line of scrimmage. So he's forcing the pitch. That's his responsibility. Uh-huh. Nate Gary has to come across, beat his block, and then get into space and get that running back. Camus did both jobs. He squeezed it, forced the pitch, and man, did he burst out of that stance. And he was coiled up, ready to go, went and made the play for like a three-yard loss. It was an excellent play. I'm like, this dude has some range and i I went because i hadn't looked at in a while and i knew he was an athletic dude but i looked at his pro day results and i was like this guy's got like a really good athletic profile and that got me like really excited about uh, excited about his prospects as a potential starter and you watch him in coverage Mm -hmm. and he's solid it should be his job
0: here's and, and the most important thing to remember is that michael kendrick's was handsome and is now gone And Camus is handsome and is now in his spot. And I think that's the greatest (laughs) signifier. And it's a shame because Jordan Hicks is also handsome. We don't talk about that enough because Michael Kendricks was very handsome. But Camus (laughs) is pretty handsome. And to me, it's very clear that he's ready to step into the Michael Kendricks role. The the illustrious Michael Kendricks, uh, who said that the Browns have the talent to be better than the Eagles. And also had one tackle tonight. Yeah, that Michael Kendricks.
1: He really showed up. Oh, dude, usually preseason is like his time to shine. Yeah. Last what, happened, year?
0: what happened to like four interceptions in the preseason? Michael Kendricks. Where did he go? Bring him back.
1: Yeah. It's not like Nick Foles was like on his game or anything. It should have been primed for him. True. Any other closing thoughts before we talk about what we have next on the lineup for Bleeding Green Nation?
0: I liked how there were just no helmet penalties whatsoever. I thought that <laughs> Weird, was fun. Right? Yeah, especially because the clarification came out that was like, hey... If it's unintended contact, don't call it. And the rest are like, all right, got it. Don't call anything. (laughs) Um, So, listen, the helmet rules like Nick Foles. You really just don't know what you're going to get on a game-to-game basis. So, that's thrilling. Adds a lot of spice to the NFL viewing experience. Uh, I really enjoyed Corey Udlin, like, celebrating and then, you know, expressing his disappointment with that Rasul Douglas play on the sidelines. I thought that was funny. Oh, um, One of my losers that we should just bring up as a note because it's important. Shelton Gibson is good at what he's good at, but he's still bad at what he's bad at.
1: Contact. He got squeezed on the sideline. I saw that.
0: Yes. See, I'm so happy you saw. That's why I like you, Mike. because Because there was that curl route that could have been picked off by Terrence Mitchell. Because he, he didn't come back through Backing away right And yep. then when they cut back from commercial They were doing like a little audio montage And Gunter Brewer My favorite position coach Because he's the cutest little old man Southern voice ever Was like <laughs> You gotta make sure you're coming back to that ball now Shell. And Like we say shorten the throw You know like he's just like super <laughs> friendly and happy On the sideline <laughs> it's so funny and then yeah there was that deep ball where he just got bodied into the sideline yeah. and that's something that if you if you don't know what you're looking for you're not going to notice that as a problem but it is because if you're going to be a deep threat you've got to keep space on your in between your outside shoulder and the boundary so the quarterback can put the ball there and you can attack it without the corner being able to make a play on it and when you get squeezed into the boundary and there's no space between you and the sideline there's nowhere to put the football right yeah. it needs to be a perfect throw every time and that's not going to be the case So, yeah, Gibson is in the first two games, we saw Gibson be good at what he's good at. In this game, we saw him be bad at what he's bad at. So it's important to understand what he is as a role player.
1: Yeah, definitely. He got that hand on him when he tried to speed release and couldn't get that hand off. And that's what ended up. He just has issues with Mm -hmm. contact. And I mean, we talked about it the last time that we talked. So, I mean, there it is. I can I'll put the rep up on Twitter if you want to see it. But. Yeah, definitely had issues with that. Okay, so moving on to what we got going on next week. I've actually got some uh, some awesome news. I spent this morning talking with the chief innovation officer and Frigo. co-founder for both Edge Analytics and Edge Sports, Frank Frigo. And we Frigo. had a nice <laughs> Frigo.
0: I've only seen his name written out and so in my head it's Frigo.
1: I had to go back to the podcast when he was on Wharton Moneyball and uh yeah. figure out how to say it cuz I didn't want to disrespect him. It was it was cool too because it was the first podcast like interview that I've ever had, where two other people were in the room and one person was like directing me through and like like getting directions for me and then giving it to him and then like you know like just kind of setting everything up. And I actually had to right. I, I had to help them. They just got a yeti microphone, so I had to help them set up their yeti microphone and everything like that. It was a look,
0: look, look at look at lead voice podcast producer Michael Kist out here. Lead voice podcast producer for BGN Radio, Michael Kist. Look at, look, at, <laughs> look at lead voice podcast producer over here. <laughs>
1: So if you don't know who edge analytics are, uh, the Eagles were the only team in the NFL to hire edge analytics to help them with their decision making. And a lot of the decisions that they made on fourth down uh, were most likely influenced by edge analytics model. And they agree with him on a lot of the fourth downs that he went for. And they have something like uh, it's called game winning chance. And you're going to hear all about this when I drop that fireside chat number three With Frank Frigo from Edge Analytics. But I'll put it to you this way. One team used Edge Analytics, one team won the Super Bowl. That's all the proof that you need, in my opinion. And it was a really enlightening discussion. And I think you're going to like it. And if you want to follow the Philadelphia Eagles and understand more about your team, this is something that they've invested in heavily. They have a robust analytics department and edge analytics is part of that. So I would highly suggest uh, listening to that, not just because it's me on it, but honestly, like it's, it's really good material and it might challenge the way that you look at football because it definitely takes, uh, uh, not some shots, but it definitely challenges traditional thinking in professional football so that's all we have for you today ben you want to say goodbye to the gentle listeners and tell them to rate review and subscribe
0: i appreciate you telling them what's coming up and then telling me what to say it's saving me from freeball in it here <laughs> but as always, thank you so much for listening to the Kist and Solak show here on BGN Radio. We do greatly appreciate it. I have been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He has been Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Uh, BGN Radio under the new feed, of course. Uh scrounging away for those new uh reflection or those new reviews and those new ratings last i checked we were knocking on the door of a 100 ratings i'm pretty sure we're in the mid 90s right now and so if you enjoyed the podcast and let's be real you did go ahead and leave a five-star rating and a review uh we do really appreciate that because that helps uh, bump us up on the list and uh, get more people listening which we want to bring them the best philadelphia eagles audio content this season and we want to bring it to as many of them as we can thank you so much for stopping by we'll talk to you again pretty soon
1: we all we got we all we need fly eagles fly
2: Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from The Good Fight and the Phillies Podcast, hitting season. Man, the 2018 season was well, it was interesting anyway, and the upcoming offseason looks to be even more interesting. So, if you want to stay up to date on all things Phillies this offseason, subscribe to the Good Fight podcast feed and get my podcast, Hit and Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Clentac and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and the Dirty Inning a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk looking at the very worst innings in Philly's history. And you'll get bonus podcasts every time big news is made with the team. Seriously, if you want to stay up to date on everything revolving around your favorite baseball team as they return to contention, make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed.